0: That is all right. Well, she was half right, because Hazy is speaking next door in Juniors. And so you prayed for Juniors accidentally, which is sick, because they're little and they need help. Um, uh, I'm John O. by the way, so if I haven't met you guys, that's who I am. Um, so, yeah, Caitlin has prayed for us before we jumped in the Bible, so we're just going to get into it. What happens when there's no consequences for our actions? What happens? I reckon people get pretty crazy. I've experienced this firsthand. Uh, I used to work in a youth refuge where kind of teenagers your age who were doing it tough, kind of homeless or whatever, would come and live there for a period of time because they were homeless. And um, and this is how the place basically worked. Like you could come and live there and be a part of the refuge as long as you kept the rules. So you weren't allowed to fight with each other and abuse the, the people who work there and steal from each other or um, do all sorts of crazy stuff. And if you did, there, there, there was like a punishment for it. And so you'd be like, well, you, you're doing the wrong thing here and so you need to stop that And because you haven't. You know, I'm going to take away the TV tonight. and You take the power cord from the TV or whatever and do things like that. And if they stop, continue to not do what they should be doing, well, eventually it did get to the point where it would be like, you need to change what you're doing or you're going to have to leave this place because you're not acting in a way that's safe, you're hurting other people, you're making it hard to work here and stuff like that. That's how it worked. There was, there was punishment, there was consequences for your actions. And the place used to be all right. Problem was though, one day the people who kind of oversaw this company from like up above, like the kind of dudes wearing suits and stuff, thought it would be a good idea to adopt a different strategy for dealing with people when they were not behaving right. And so what they said is they wanted to do this thing called strength-based practice, and none of you have heard of that, and that's okay. It's like a counselling technique, right? And they wanted to do this in the refuge. And so the point of this was that you're not to talk about punishments or consequences for what they're to do. So you're not to threaten any sort of a punishment or give any sort of a punishment for bad behaviour. Instead, when the kids are acting crazy you had to kind of look at the strength of what they're doing, see the good in what they're doing, and kind of turn that into an encouragement you could give them. And so it would go like this. This is what would happen in this refuge. Some of you are laughing, but it was pretty crazy. Um, So this is what happened, right? Like, you know, you'd be like, Whoa, Billy, you've just uh, stolen Frank's shoes, which which is okay. Oh, man, let me think about this it's good that you have the ability to get what you want, Jimmy. It's good that you've got the ability to kind of sort yourself out and look after yourself well. So congratulations for that. But can you see how stealing Frank's shoes is bad for Frank because he doesn't have shoes anymore. And the kid's like, mm. you know, and it would be like, whoa, Jimmy, you just punched Frank in the face and Frank's like knocked out. And you're like, okay, can you?" it's good that you're assertive. It's good that you know how to kind of, you know, you have a strong sense of self you know your own personal boundaries but can you see how punching Frank in the face, well now he's, he's hurt and it's not very nice when you get punched in the face and that was pretty much how it was going in this refuge, that was legit what I was doing with these crazy teenagers who were acting up. What do you reckon happened in the end? How do you reckon it went for that refuge? Poor Frank, yeah. It went bad. It got to the point, right, where one night I'm working there and like there's this kid who's bigger than all the other kids and he's just like losing it. He's heaps angry and he's in the kitchen and he's like just smashing the place like Aah! smashing plates, and all the other kids are afraid of him because he's threatening everyone and, and so they're hiding in their bedrooms and I'm like, dude, you need to stop smashing all of our plates And it got to this point where he goes, Why? And I was like, oh, crap. And I went, I had nothing. I didn't have a thing to, because we need plates to eat off. Like, that wasn't high on his agenda. I had nothing. And so I called my boss and I said, this is crazy. I quit. And that was the end of it. I went home that night after someone else got there to look after kids. I was done with the place. It was crazy. It was impossible to get these kids to behave without the threat of some sort of consequence for their action. Here's the thing though, what if I told you that that, like this kind of refuge thing, not in all the little details, but that is how God relates to us. What if I told you that the Bible actually says that there's no punishment left over to be given for people if their trust is in Jesus? Because that's what the Bible says, that's the message of the gospel, It's not about do good stuff, be good enough, and you'll get to heaven. And if you don't, you won't. It's Jesus died on the cross, free gift of grace, heaven on offer for free, despite your sin. And so as Christians, even now, if we were to sin, and which pretty much all of us do in different ways, the Bible doesn't say, watch out or you'll go to hell. The Bible says, you're forgiven. And that's the end of it. Christians are completely free from any sort of a threat of judgment. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, just a couple of pages over in your Bibles where we read, says that there is now no condemnation, no judgment left over for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing left to give. The message of the Bible is there's no threat of judgment left if you're a Christian, if your trust is in Jesus. And so that leads to a pretty obvious question, doesn't it? What's to stop us from sinning? <laughs> Why does it matter if we do or don't sin? And that's actually the first point that we're looking at in this passage tonight. What's to stop us from sinning? Does grace mean that we can just sin? So you look at verse 1, you can see the question there. Paul says, "'What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase?' And so, when he says that, he's actually kind of asking a more extreme version of that question. He's actually saying, because of grace, well, and and we're forgiven by God, should we actually sin more because that'll make God look good because there'll be more sin to forgive and so more glory to Him because He's forgiven so much sin? It's like an extreme version of that question. If you look at verse 15, you'll see it more simply. It's the same question. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Can we just sin because of grace? That's the question that he's asking. Now, I want to suggest that's actually a a pretty... It's not a stupid question to ask. It's not a silly question. I reckon asking that question actually shows that you finally understood what grace is all about. Grace is meant to be outrageous. It's meant to make you go, what? Well, does this mean that? I think that's the effect of grace. See, Paul in, in Romans here, he's just been really carefully unpacking the fact that grace is a free gift heaven is a free gift if you trust is in Jesus and so he kind of preempts that it's not like he's having a conversation it's not like chapter six some dude's like we've well, got a question for you no no Paul knows this question's coming and so he says well here's the question you're probably going to ask because of grace should we sin it's a pretty obvious question A guy called Martin Luther, about 500 years ago, he was kind of the guy that kicked off the Christian Reformation, he discovered this truth that it is all about grace in this book here in Romans. He was reading Romans and he's like, I get it, it's about grace. And so he started preaching that the way to heaven isn't what you do and earning your way there, it's a free gift. Guess what Martin Luther's critics said to him? Man, you've got to stop preaching this thing. Because people are going to go crazy. There's no way to make them be good anymore if you keep on telling them that they can get to heaven anyway. And that's what Martin Luther's critics said to him. Even for myself, when I go into high schools around the Central Coast and I talk to people who don't have a clue about Jesus, right? So clean slate, they're like, what, is Jesus a person? Cool, good to know, tell me more. Like I'm having these conversations with people. Guess when I kind of get an idea that they're starting to get this idea of grace, I reckon they're onto it when they say to me, hang on a second, Jesus died on the cross which means I can go to heaven even if I'm a sinner. Pfft, sweet. Does that mean I can sin then and it doesn't really matter? They ask that question all the time and that's when I go, you half get it, you're halfway there. You've understood grace properly but there is another thing you need to understand still. But that's a sign that you actually get it. And so here's the question, <laughs> have you understood grace properly? Is that a question that's ever kind of come across your mind? Man, this grace thing is so crazy. Well, what is to stop me from sinning? Because if you've never kind of thought about that stuff, it could be, and maybe it isn't, but it could be that maybe you actually haven't really understood what Christianity is about. It's about a free gift of grace. Have you understood it right? Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? Or have you got this idea in your head that so many people have that it's about being good and earning my way to heaven and then God will finally accept me? Have you understood grace? There's the question. Now, the initial answer that Paul gives to that question is actually pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's not, it's not really hard to get. Pretty much he just says, no, you shouldn't just sin because of grace. You can see it just straight away. He says, verse 2, by no means, no, no way, that's not what you're supposed to do. And then in the rest of this passage that we're looking at tonight, he unpacks the reason for why. Why shouldn't we sin if we're forgiven by grace? Here's what we're going to see in the rest of this passage tonight. Here's the reason. We're united to Jesus. And so what happened to Jesus has happened to us. He starts explaining it in verse 2 follow along, he says, by no means, don't just sin because of grace, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Now that phrase, we died to sin, it's a little bit like that one, you're dead to me. Has anyone said that kind of dramatic phrase to your friends or something, you know? You said it just now, did you? When did you last say you're dead to me? Today, Today. wow, okay. See, it's kind of reserved for fairly dramatic extreme situations, but I'd love to use that one day, like, you're dead to me, and then storm out. right so we throw that phrase around. We kind of get what it means. It's kind of like Paul's saying that, but in the reverse. He's saying He's saying, We're dead to sin. It's as good as dead to us. And then he explains how that's happened in the next few verses. And so this gets a little bit complicated but it's really worth getting. So keep on following on. Look at verse 3. He starts to explain what it means by, you're dead to me. He says, "Or well, don't you know, verse 3, that all of us who were baptised into Christ were baptised into His death. Now, the way he's using that word baptised there is kind of a funny way to use the word baptised. We're used to talking about baptism as like a symbol of what's happened to a person when they become a Christian but he's using it a bit differently. Look at verse 5, because I think it helps us understand the way he's using the word baptised into Christ. Look at verse 5, he kind of says a similar thing. He says, If we've been united with him like this in his death, we'll certainly be united with him, that's Jesus, in his resurrection. So, long story short, if you're confused, talk to me more about this later. But I think what he's saying, basically, he's kind of using baptised, kind of a little bit interchangeably with the idea of being united into Jesus. He's using them kind of similarly. And what he's saying is, basically, as Christians, we've been united into Jesus. And so, there's all these consequences for that. And the consequences are up on the screen there. If you're united with Jesus, what's happened to Jesus has actually happened to you as well. Now I'll give you an illustration of what this idea of being united to Jesus kind of looks like. Um, had holidays recently and I went away and I went kind of bushwalking and stuff a little bit with my little kid Luca who was just born and when we do that we strap him to us in this crazy backpack thing that kind of turns him into like this fleshy drooling backpack that just kind of follows us around and so you're wearing him But what happens is, whatever I do, he goes there. He doesn't have a choice about it. And so, like, if I walk down that path, he walks down that path. If I'm standing in the sun and I'm, like, wearing a hat and I don't really notice, he's sitting there going, ah, because the sun's in his eyes. Wherever I go, I go. If I get sweaty, he gets sweaty. And it gets kind of a bit scary for me, right? Yeah, you didn't need to know that, did you? It gets scary for me, though, right? When it's like like I'm like looking at all these nice lookouts and stuff and looking out over the ocean over these cliffs and stuff, like that's sick, that's so good. Oh, it's quite dangerous here. And I start to think to myself, man, if I fall off this cliff, he's coming with me. Like I'm wearing him. If I go, he's gone as well. And it gets pretty scary. Now, it's because you forget that you're wearing him and you're just wandering around. It's the same principle with tandem skydiving, right? That's when you're a learner. And so you strap yourself to someone and you go skydive. Well, they strap you to them, really, because they're the one in charge. And they jump out of a plane and you go with them. Now, I'm told, Bree's done it. She might be able to tell you more about this, right? I haven't done skydiving. But I hear that you can kind of pull out if you want to on the plane on the way up. I guess you could chicken out. But there's a point of no return where you get strapped to the instructor. You're in front of them at the doorway and they're behind you. And if you freak out and you freeze up and you're like, I'm not going to jump, I'm freaking out it's pretty much the instructor's call at that point because if they jump, you jump. And so typically, if you freeze up at the door and like, I'm not doing this thing, the instructor's like, yeah, we are. And he can just (laughs) jump you out and it makes it happen, right? (laughs) If they jump, well, you jump as well because you're united to them. And there's a little picture of what it's like when we're united with Jesus. What happens to Jesus, what happened to Jesus, happens to us. Now, specifically, what's happened to us because we're united with Jesus? Three quick things. Jesus died, and so we died. That's a weird thought. You're already dead if you're a Christian. Check out verses 6 and 7. sounds like a threat. I'm not trying to get any of this, all right? Verse 6 and 7. For we know that our old self, that's us, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin so why is it a useful thing to say that we've actually died with Jesus well the reason is it deals with sin because what's the punishment for sin if you look at verse 23 in your bibles you'll see that the wages of sin the thing that sin earns is death. Sin deserves death but here it's saying we've actually physically, in some way spiritually, we've died with Jesus and so what that means is it's almost as if we have died for our sin. Now if you come along to Eva Youth often, that sounds almost heretical doesn't it? If you come here often you'll hear us talk a lot about the fact that Jesus died for our sin. This is the same idea but it kind of makes it puts in a different angle and it's saying we get united with Jesus and so there's a sense in which Jesus gets punished for our sin but somehow we're united to him in such a way that we're actually dying with him which means there's no punishment left to be given to us for our sin. An example of what this kind of looks like, right, is a movie called Double Jeopardy. Now this movie's old, I don't know, it's like 90s movie, right? Anyway, in this movie, there's this chick, right, and she gets framed for murder by her own husband. So her husband pretends that he's dead and sets her up and makes it look like she killed him. And so she goes to jail, right? She doesn't know about it, she goes to jail, she does her time in jail and she's locked up and stuff. But she works out that her husband isn't really dead, that she's been framed, and then she's like, that's it. I'm taking this guy down and she decides she's going to kill her husband and she works out there's this loophole in the law right which says you can't be punished for the same crime twice if you get charged with killing your husband and you go to jail for it then you've served your time if he ain't dead well have fun you can kill him now now I don't know if it's really like that I'm sure the cops are going to do something right but in this movie that's how it goes and so she decides to get revenge on her husband I have no idea what happens you can watch it if you want The point is this, though, you can't get punished for the same crime twice. If you've served your time, you're done. If the punishment for sin is death and we have died with Jesus, there's no punishment left over for us. And so in verse 7, he says, if you've died, you're free from sin. That's a big deal. So we've died with Jesus. Secondly, this kind of just a logical progression from dying. What happens after you die? Verse 4, it says that we get buried with Jesus as well. And then after that, in verses 8 to 10, it talks about the fact that after we're buried with Jesus, well, you guys know what happens to Jesus if you've been around for a while. He rises from the dead. And so we rise to a new life with Jesus as well. Look at verses 8 to 10. It'll show us that. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, if you're a little bit of a thinker, this is a good question to ask. What kind of life is he talking about here? Is Paul talking about we've been raised to a new life with Jesus now and so we're living a new life as Christians now or is he talking about a time where in the future we will be raised to a new life when we die and we're resurrected for heaven? I don't know if you guys thought about that. Maybe if you studied in Bible study, you might have thought about it a little bit. Verse 8 makes it seem like a future thing. It says you will rise with Jesus but then in verse 11, Paul says to them, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God now. So I think what's going on is it's kind of a little bit of both. There's a sense in which we're going to fully experience this new life when we're resurrected for heaven in the future. That's the full expression of it, right? But there's a sense in which even now, if you're a Christian, at the point you became a Christian, you died and you began a new life already, dead to sin, alive to God. It's kind of stopped. So it's already started. See, we've talked about dead a bit, death a bit tonight. I don't know if you're a bit lost. I'll try and make this clearer. There's a gross egg everywhere. When will you die? There's a question that's pretty morbid. Maybe you don't think about that very much. But when will you die? Well, in a sense, the Bible's actually saying you already have died. See, typically, right, if this is our life going on into the afterlife, right, we kind of go, here's where we were born. And so there's a. Happy baby that's born, right? It looks a bit terrifying, but we're born. At some point in the future, we die, and so you're dead, right? And so this is our physical life, and then here's the rest of our life. And typically, we think about life as kind of being, here's my life, and here's kind of the afterlife or whatever goes on after that. But what Paul's saying here is a little bit different. He's saying somewhere along the lines, you you become a Christian, right? If you do become a Christian, you become a Christian somewhere along the lines. And basically what he's saying is, here's your first life and the rest of your life pretty much goes on from here and then there's a little bit of a speed bump along the way as you physically die and are resurrected. But the point is, your new life starts here. Life number one, life number two, not life one, life two. Does that make sense? You get it? Yeah. And so... The point is, if you are a Christian, there's a sense in which your old life has already ended. Spiritually, you've already died to that old way, that old life. And you've begun a whole new thing that will last into eternity when you spend it with God. Is this how you guys see your life? Is this how you see yourself now as a Christian? Guys, can you see how incredible this is, that this has happened already? It's amazing. If you get this, it should change everything. Change everything about our lives. Now, at the start of the night, we ask the question, well, if we're saved by grace, then why don't we just go and sin as much as we want? Because that might sound fun or whatever. We ask that question, right? Well, the answer is we don't because... Our life is fundamentally different. It's literally, in in a spiritual sense, it's a different life altogether now. And so the consequences of our sin, God's judgment, is now a thing of the past, of the old life. Living in that sin and, and loving it and kind of just throwing yourself into it, well, that's a part of the old life as well. So Christians here tonight, see yourself clearly, see where you are in life. And guys, if you're not a Christian here tonight, consider starting your new life tonight. It's the best thing you can ever do in the world. Trust Jesus, become joined to Him. And so, in a sense, I'm asking you to die tonight to your old life and begin a new life tonight with God. That's what it means to become a Christian. And if you do that, what that means is, well, you die to... The consequences of sin You die to the fear that one day you're going to have to face a God who's angry at your sin, that's gone. You don't have to fear that anymore. You get to begin a new life now in relationship with that God. And so there's that kind of incredible truth about who we are kind of laid out for us there. Last question to kind of answer tonight is, what, what do we do with this truth? If we are a Christian? What do you do with something like that? And here's the third and final point for us tonight. Think like and act like who you are. Think and act like who you are. Check out verse 11. Paul's just explained all this stuff right here and hopefully they've got it. And so he says to him in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Think this way now. Look at yourself correctly. Because sometimes it's almost as if reality kind of moves on and it does its thing for us, right? But sometimes we struggle to see things clearly as they happen around us, as they happen to us. You ever see someone kind of win like a gold medal at the Olympics or win an Oscar or something like that and the interviewer says, how do you feel about winning this gold medal? And the, what does the person always say? They always say, I can't believe it. It's still sinking in, and they can't come to terms with a thing that's a reality. It's already there. They're kind of trying to catch up. It's the same thing when, like, you kind of got like that kid who was like fat in like primary school. You know. So this sounds harsh, but it's not. It's it's a positive story, right? So, like, people are stupid in primary school, and so everyone's like, "Oh, Fat Stan from primary school," right? And they're stupid about it, right? But what happens is, like, years later, like you're in like year eleven, and like Fat Stan's not overweight at all and and you still call him fat stan you're like why is that he clearly he's, it's completely different and we just haven't caught on to it like there's a guy here tonight who i was talking to earlier year 12 guy Tubbs, right he's like he's like he's a good looking strong looking buff man right and his name is tubs what are we doing calling him Tubbs? reality's moved on i don't know why we've called him Tubbs for so long he's the opposite of Tubbs. Sorry, it's not the best example, but you get the point. <laughs> what Paul is saying here is that we need to see ourselves clearly. This is the reality if you're a Christian, and so see yourself that, right, that way. Consider it that way. And so next time you're tempted to sin, um, next time you kind of find yourself wanting to give in to whatever it is that you're struggling with, remember that, Well, actually, sin is the thing that's a part of the old life. Remember that you've literally died to sin, in a sense. You've died to sin. You've been saved from it and now you're living a new life to God. See yourself clearly when you wrestle with sin in this life because you're going to continue to encounter and wrestle with it. So he says, think clearly about who you are and act like who you are. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let sin be in charge. Don't let it be the thing setting the agenda and telling you how to live. Don't obey it in what it desires. Look at verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments as of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. So how do you use your body? What do you do with it? How do you use your eyes? What do you find yourself looking at that you know you shouldn't? Don't. Use your eyes to glorify God and be in control. Your hands. Don't use them to steal or... (laughs) This is stretching it, but get drunk or, I don't know, whatever. Um, Be violent. Don't use your hands that way. Use your hands to serve God in the things that you do. What do you do with your mouth? Do you gossip and swear and lie? Instead, use it to tell others about Jesus. And guys, as we seek to do all this stuff and seek to be who we are, do it knowing that sin has ultimately already lost Look at verse 14. I reckon this is one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. Verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. Sin shall not be your master. That is good news. You ever play like, a bunch of you will get this, you ever play kind of a competitive sport like a team sport, basketball, soccer or footy or something like that. What happens when your team is kind of clearly in the lead to the point it's like we've basically won this game. What does that do to the way you play the game? I find what it does is it energizes the whole team. There's this kind of thing that goes on where you just start to, you start to go, man, we've already got this thing in the bag. And so you run harder and it's not as hard. You, you score easier. The team just kind of just is full of this energy, kind of this confidence that they've already won the game. Well, in Jesus, we've already won because He has already done it, not because of anything we've done. Sin has been defeated. We've died to it. We've already began a new life. And so run hard as a Christian, knowing that sin won't be your master. It isn't your master. You're not under the law to obey it. Instead, you're free from it. Guys, think and act like who you are in Jesus. Realize who you are and act that way. It's not going to be easy all the time. You're going to have struggles and all that kind of stuff. But remember ultimately who you are in Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much that in Jesus we're free from sin. Thank you that the consequences of sin are dealt with and done with. Thank you that we've already began a new life with him. And Lord, we know that That life is going to be full of challenges and all sorts of struggles with sin continually. Uh, We know that um, sin isn't completely gone from our lives, even though the power of it has been broken. And so, Lord, please help us to continue to fight and help us to be motivated by the right thing. Help us, please don't let us fall into the trap of of thinking that our fight with sin is a thing that's going to earn us heaven or hell instead help us to know that we've got grace let that be the thing that motivates us and drives us on in our christian lives amen sweet